Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live program that we put on every single week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what is going on in the news, what's going on in the world, and how you can see through all of the propaganda, misinformation, disinformation, and whatever other information words that they've decided to come up with to basically muddy the waters and keep everybody lied to as much as possible. And we have a lot to discuss. All of the content, or the most of the content that we can uh, from this show today will be posted up on Subscribestar, which I'm trying to be good about and nice because we do have people that help sponsor this program, and you can as well for $2.99 a month by going to Subscribestar.com forward slash WrongThinkRadio. And I'll be posting show notes there as well as taking chats. And you can join our Discord server where we share a lot of our news throughout the week so you guys can see the same things that we're seeing. And we can have wonderful discussions about what everybody thinks about it because I like crowdsourcing stuff for this program. So please get involved on that. Be sure to jump onto our Discord server, make comments on the news that we post. I would love to get regular Americans' opinions because that is the point of this show. The point of this show is regular Americans talking to regular Americans. We're not senior fellows at Who Gives a Shit Institute. We're not any of those East Coast, West Coast elites. (laughs) Yeah, we're none of them. We're none of them liberal elites sitting there talking about their country clubs. Uh, Wait, don't you live in Virginia and don't I live in Seattle? Well, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So. mm. Yeah, and we hate it. (laughs) Yeah, and we hate it the whole time. Um, so we're, uh, it's been a, been a interesting week. Uh, there's some interesting stuff to try to, to break down. Um, you know, good morning to everybody who's joining us on chat. For those of you who don't know, if you go to Spreaker.com, you can join our chat there and, uh, we are reading and monitoring, uh, the chat as much as possible. Let me be sure to share the show out uh, for anybody who wants to join us and also be awesome just like you current listeners right now and get everybody talking and jamming as it were. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's so much fun. So I have, I've, I've been thinking, I've actually been having, not, not trouble, but I've been trying to figure out the best way to share um, everything that went on this week in the fashion to where people can understand why certain things are happening. And there's a lot. So I apologize if I sound like I'm kind of hammering through, but there's actually a lot to cover this week. Um, and I want everyone to sort of pay attention to uh, the the different ways that we present it because there's a method to the madness here. And the the first thing that I want to start with is what I think is, or at least in my belief is, The precipice for a lot of why Democrats are doing what they're doing agenda-wise and reacting the way that they're reacting. And that is, and it's it's funny, sorry, because it all ties together. Um, At some point, a lot of parents woke up to the idea that children are basically being indoctrinated, threatened, however you want to phrase it, via state education. And I think that, in my belief, this started when parents started taking a close look at what was going on because of COVID. 
They saw how school boards were acting. They saw how schools were acting. And they started seeing what I believe a lot of people are seeing is just the uh, rampant idiocy that was going on in, in relation to COVID, whether it was virtual schooling and then mask wearing kids literally being left outside in the cold during the winter, sitting outside to eat their lunch because coronavirus is so dangerous. None of which matched anything that anyone was seeing. It was wildly illogical. And parents saw this starting about last year. They started asking questions and they started getting a reaction that I think made them more uh, interested, I guess, for lack of a better term, or more wary of what else schools were doing. Because the reaction that came from school boards, the National Education Association, teachers unions, all of these groups were shut up. Don't tell us what to do with your kids. And parents yeah. went, um, I'm sorry, excuse me? And they went, no, no, no. You don't have a say in what happens with your child. And parents went, oh, my God, how bad is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the answer is really bad. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> let's start off uh, with a clip um, that where somebody accidentally said the quiet part out loud. Uh, this is uh, Melissa Harry Harris Perry on MSNBC uh, when they were discussing some of the stuff that's going on with schools right now in involving curriculum and uh, all the school board stuff that you've been hearing. And obviously one of the most, uh, you know, the big national headline being the election and now um, the actual instantiation of Governor uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who basically won on the tide of, yeah, schools shouldn't be able to like own your children outright. Parental consent is a thing. Uh, that's what won him the election. I don't think that there's really any mystery there. Uh, and it has caused a reaction where, weirdly, Democrats were so ill-prepared that they actually have to tell people the truth. And it's absolutely horrifying. Here's that clip from MSNBC. It's Melissa Harris-Perry. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of... Oh, okay. I guess it's not going to do what I want it to do. Um, which is super awesome. So let me let me see if I can fix that real quick. Sorry if there was a pop on the line. Let's uh, okay. see if it'll play now. So part of it is we have to break through our okay. kind of private. It, it won't. Nothing wants to work. Uh, everything is broken. I hate it. That's great. Yeah, give me one second. I'll find another way to... Stupid. <laughs> Use the broadcaster. It's super great. Everything works fantastic until you try to do anything. Um, let's see if we can make it work now. Maybe we can. Maybe we can't. Um, it's really going to ruin it because I got so many good things uh, audio-wise So part today. of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids oh, belong work. to their parents or so kids belong to, to their think. families. It played. Let me see if I can get it to play again. Do it. Why are you you why just got to have faith in these things. Faith in I, the technology. I, I don't. You need. Um, you please should, <laughs> but I just don't. Uh, all right, let me. Uh, I'm sure people heard it, but let me see if I can get it. Um, well, Colleen says she was hearing it before. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families. There we go. Okay, so it is. It is actually working. I'm just. Um, no, I'm going to say it was broken and not blame myself. Um, I was looking at the wrong sign bar. So I apologize. 
Um, anyway, yeah. So as you heard there, is uh, we have to uh, we have to get through the idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to families. Yeah. Well. Can't have that, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, kids need to belong to the state, right? Well, I mean, the families would probably just have bad, outdated ideas about, I don't know, the nation and LGBT acceptance. And if we allow parents, well, most parents are probably evil Trump supporters, so I can understand where this comes from. Mm. Well, let's also not forget what type of parents do you think are the most um involved in their child's education? Do do you think it's um, do you think it's the uh government dependent welfare queens? I would imagine that it is not. Right, because we've seen this. Like this is what's interesting is and this isn't a bash against uh, other people. But for years on this podcast, we've talked about different stuff to include. Remember when they said reading to your kid at night was racist because it created um, it, it, it created like a uh, unfair advantage. And they said that it, it created an unfair advantage to white children, which was very strange to me because it was the, the whole premise of it was like well to do white children have their parents read to them and therefore they do better in reading. And that was unfair, which we discussed. I got it. It had to have been five years ago. Now we discussed it because what was the most fascinating about that was lower income people work less. So they would have had more time to be able to read to their children. But right. Right. Which is very it's interesting. But somehow race was involved. You know, nothing weird there. Um, but point is, uh, MSNBC comes out swinging saying, you know, we have to get rid of the idea that parents belong or that children belong to their parents or belong to their families because they want them to belong to the state. And a lot of this is predicated on the idea that um, there are a lot of parents that are requesting to understand the lesson plans and the curriculum that are being, you know, given and taught to their kids. And this has actually resulted in teachers unions and, quote, free speech advocates Getting involved, here's a um, section from an NBC article about it where it says, but teachers, their unions, and free speech advocates say the proposals would excessively scrutinize daily classwork and would lead teachers to preemptively poll potential contentious materials to avoid drawing criticism. Parents, legis- okay. parents and legislatures have already started campaigns to remove books dealing with race and gender, citing passages they find obscene after they found out that the books were available in school libraries and classrooms. Now, um, you'll keep hearing Democrats repeat this about this idea of like, they're removing books. Oh, it's like the Third Reich. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. they're going to burn the books. It's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is this is the veneer of respectability they try and put over everything. Now, remember, like this everything is the... they do is, is always good. And all the things that are taught in these books have to be good. And any questioning of it is, well, if we, only a racist would question whether, you know, we want kids learning about this. Also, CRT isn't real. And uh, I don't understand why people have a problem. 
Yeah, CRT isn't real, but it's really upsetting that they're trying to not have it. <laughs> it's super upsetting that they're trying to not have this thing that doesn't exist uh, taught in our schools. Right. How dare you stand up against this thing that I told you wasn't real? <laughs> but here's what's interesting. So they, first of all, the same group of people that talked about how like awful and racist, uh, uh, like Dr. Seuss was. Yeah. You know, apparently that, that was okay. Uh, right. There was that whole funny thing about them canceling Dr. Seuss and everybody talked about how super racist Dr. Seuss books were. Uh, but now that's not okay. So it was okay. Then it's not okay. Now we're used to that. What's interesting is, is the amount of times that people say, oh, they're trying to get rid of books. They're trying to get rid of all of these books. One of the main books that is being discussed, this was in Virginia. It was in Virginia school libraries. The book that was banned and removed, I believe, sorry, I believe it was Virginia. It might've been other places too, but the book that was removed was a comic book about a young boy discovering he was gay, which mm. depicted oral and anal sex. Now, remember, this is a comic book. This isn't, these aren't passages kids are reading. These are pictures. Ew. And it was a boy discovering he was gay, which depicted oral and anal sex between a minor and an adult. Ew. I don't know about you guys, but uh, that's porn. It was porn. And it was in school libraries and parents went, hey, um, maybe not porn. And all of the teachers went, well, this is an LGBTQ book. Well, that this is, begs the question. If that's an LGBTQ book, then does the LGB if the, if that is the type of material that is endorsed and promoted by the LGBT groups, mm -hmm. then what does that say about the groups and their objectives? Then it is totally reasonable to oppose everything that they want if that's the things that they're promoting. Yeah, it, it it's. That's well, the whole point is the left wants to make um, conservatives, parents, you know, whoever, regular Americans that are saying like, hey, maybe we don't have um, maybe we don't have a comic book that literally has sections in it where a the the author and the artist are depicting him daydreaming about a kid at school while pleasuring himself while driving a car, which is a real panel that existed in this comic or having sex with an adult, uh, which is a panel in this comic and, and all of these things. Um, I don't think that that's appropriate for my kid. And the reaction from the left is, Oh, these stodgy conservatives, geez. Oh, geez. They just don't, they don't want their poor, precious children exposed to real life. If, if that's real life, no, then, then I have a problem with, Yeah, it, that's the life that I have a problem with real life. And that's I, I get to be upset about this. This might seem weird, but we actually have laws against having sex in public for a reason, because it's considered obscene and people don't want to have to watch that. I always thought that the point was is what happened in your bedroom was supposed to be left alone. Um, and instead, now they're saying, no, 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 we actually want to make your children watch. Yeah. And it's weird. And. The best part is, well, they're they're using broad terms because what they really don't want to have to do is try to justify that specifically. Because even right. they know it's gross and weird. But they 
yeah. they can't like go against it, right? Because it, it it has the magic letters on it, LGBTQ, and so if you go against it, then you're a bad, evil bigot. Um, so show porn, like so show porn to kids, or else you're a bigot. Like make your kids watch the porn, you bigot. Yeah, that that's basically the answer. Um, but the, the point is, is to to the the oh, initial. What point is the here. goal of these people doing mm-hmm. this? I think it's not crazy to say the goal of people doing this is essentially to groom children into into being gay, into having confused sexual identity because that benefits the left. Yeah, it's it's either that or it is simply petty vengeance on what they see as it's like either it's that or it's as petty as man, wouldn't it be great if. We got all of these stupid Trump supporters' parents and turned their kids gay out of vengeance. I mean, which one is it? Either they they want to groom kids into becoming gay, or they're delighting in the essential, essentially abuse of children because it hurts the people that they've been told to hate. And I I don't know which one it is, but it's one of them. Oh, there's no there. I mean. It, it, it can be a little bit of both. It can be, it, it's a lot of things. The The number one I will say is um, there is obviously an obscene delight um, that they take in the idea of turning children against their enemies. They love that. Uh, it, a news story that was uh, came out a couple of weeks ago was this obsession of reporters following uh, Ted Cruz's young daughter on TikTok like basically trolling her profile, which is already weird. I would be very weirded out if some gross, like liberal elitist journalist was spending hours of their day watching TikTok videos of my young daughter. Um, But she claimed she was bi, supposedly. And all of these news outlets started writing uh, stories about it. And of course, that's their favorite thing in the world. Because to them, Ted Cruz is this evil, bigoted, awful, conservative, right-wing Christian. So they delight in the idea of his kid being gay. Not because they think anything great about it, like, oh, well, you know, good for her for living her truth or whatever platitude they want to, you know, ferret out of that. The real thing is, is, (laughs) oh, I'm so glad his daughter's gay. I bet that just infuriates him. I hope that she becomes a drug addict and a porn actress. (laughs) That is how these people are. It is. And it's disgusting. That's they delight in this because they have. Oh, it's just they're filled with such hatred. It's astounding. But the other the other side of it, too, is like, why do they do this? Well, because you confuse them early. You confuse kids early into this weird psychopathy that like that objective truth like doesn't even matter. Like none of this is like when you build the baseline for kids that everything is subjective, they immediately have to look for an authority to try to make sense of the world, right? It's, I mean, it's gaslighting. That's the whole point of this is gaslighting. You confuse the hell out of kids that are like just kind of learning the world around them and just kind of coming into their own positions as as uh, independent human beings um, and free thinkers. 
And what you do is you confuse the hell out of them by telling them like race and gender and all of these other things. They don't matter. None of them are real. You have to basically be told what these things are. And they go, yeah, but like my eyes can see. And they go, oh, don't, don't trust your eyes. The only people that you can trust is me. Because anybody right. who doesn't say the things I say is a bigot. And you don't want to be a bad person, right? Because no kid wants to be a bad person. Every kid wants to be a good person. Everybody wants to be a good person. That's not a bad quality. But that quality is being weaponized. Mm -hmm. And so teachers are basically being able to mold children into having to basically, well, what it comes down to, and we're going to talk more about it, is it's forcing them to not be able to think for themselves and always have to appeal to an expert. Well, I don't know anything about all of this, so I need to go find an expert. Please find me somebody in a lab coat on CNN to tell me what to think. Sure. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is the basis of all of critical theory. The basis of all of critical theory is to make it to where you literally cannot make a determination on your own. You have to receive the current truth of the world from the ministry of truth. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and the best part is, is like people see this and go, what the hell is going on now to follow up that story um, with, with another uh, story that came out is this is from business insider. Florida lawmakers advance a bill that would allow parents to sue schools if staff speak to students about gender identity or sexuality. A Florida cool. House committee passed a bill designed to prevent the discussions of gender identity in schools. The Parental Rights in Education bill says it protects a parent's fundamental right to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. Advocates for the LGBTQ slammed the bill and said it would be harmful to LGBTQ youth. The LGBTQ advocacy groups are doing a very good job of making me think that the LGBT groups have nothing but ill will towards children. Like it, that it seems very hard to rationalize the efforts of the LGBT advocacy advocacy, advocacy groups as anything other than an attempt to brainwash and manipulate children in order to do something evil and nefarious. Like, just the way they stand in, the way that they push back against efforts by parents that are incredibly reasonable makes me feel like they know what they're doing is hurting kids, and they're trying to hide that fact because that's their end goal. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly it. And what's amazing is like the reality of it is, is to kids, this doesn't really mean anything. It's basically like it's popular right now. This I is would like to know what is the proportion of what is the proportion over time of children in, let's say, middle school that have some sort of non, I don't know, gender issue that are, what's the proportion of kids in middle school that report either being gay, trans, whatever. And how does that compare with numbers, say even five years ago? I bet it is a, it, I bet it's drastically increased. 
and it is probably entirely due to efforts of the gay lobby to essentially undermine the development of children to add in specifically add in confusion. Right. Well, the the reality of what happens here is they take younger kids and like middle school and stuff that have no idea what the hell this actually is. They just they think it's I don't know neat, right? And they they think it's a popular thing because that that makes you a hero, right? It's in television, it's it's in you know schools and publications. Everybody's a hero if they're either if they're an ally or if they're part of it. It makes you special. I guess that's the best way to put it. Right, it makes right. you special, and kids want to be special. And so they're like, oh, well, I mean, and I, I, from personal experience, it's, well, I'm not really a girly girl, so I'm probably not female. Like, no, that's not true. What the hell do you mean you're not a girl? What's a girly girl? And they yeah. are like, what, what's a, what's a woman to you? What, what, what do you mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm a girl. Well, describe a girl. And then they describe it and you're like, that's the most sexist interpretation of what a female is that I've ever heard in my life. And, and all of this is directly attributable to the LGBT propaganda that is pushed on students by teachers through the progressive movement, whose entire goal is to make children confused, to add in chaos that can then be taken advantage of by the left and by people that have ill will towards their parents. Yeah. It's like, it's just like we talked about with abortion essentially creates women that will never that will always vote Democrat. I think all the gender stuff is trying to create a generation of people that will always support the progressive agenda because they have a confused sexuality. Right, right. It's, and I think it, the entire goal is to undermine a the reaction to left-wing overreach through the use of essentially confusing propaganda because the it makes it so people will never question what is absolutely a unsupportable political position the left-wing arguments the progressive movement absolutely fails any kind of serious intellectual rigor or investigation into its goals into what it's trying to do it completely failed it has no argument that stands up on its own and so the entire focus of the movement is ensuring that people support it because they're forced to either by confusion either by their choices it's it's trying to trap people into supporting the progressive agenda because it knows it cannot actually stand up on its own and win on its own merits. Right. And they, they're essentially putting a gun. The part of the reason why <clears throat> there would be laws like this in, <clears throat> in Florida and likely other states is because what happens here is these uh, schools uh, but basically they make it popular, right? So all these kids claim to be trans because it makes them special and they don't know what it means. And it, to be fair, it has literally like no effect in reality um, unless it starts becoming more of like the weird stuff like puberty blockers and all that. But like a kid right. just goes, I use alternate pronouns because that makes me special. And that, that's all they do, right? Like that's literally the extent of it. They think it's popular and cute and whatever, or they think it makes them special or or cool or what have you. Well, when that starts, the school starts instantiating it. Well, okay, well, we don't want to hurt little Timmy's feelings, so we have to use the alternative pronouns, and we have to use the different name, and we have to do all of those things. And so they start living almost two different lives, and they're being told by their school that, well, we support you. We're always going to be behind you, which means that anybody who 
doesn't accept these things like these, uh, you know, alternate pronouns and all this other stuff, well, they don't support you. And so it creates a schism between children and their parents. But the other aspect of it is it also puts a gun to parents' heads. This is why these kinds of laws are getting passed. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, they're going to try to make it all this bigot, bigotry and hatred. And rah. the reality of it is, is what also happens all the time in these situations is teachers in these schools. And we played clips a, a couple months ago of teachers literally saying to like giving pointers on how to hide this kind of stuff from parents, how to talk to like how to make fake clubs that are like inclusivity clubs. But in reality, they were supposed to be like LGBTQ clubs. So how to hide things from parents and why is you get little Timmy to believe that they have alternative pronouns. And then when the parents go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. This kid's 12. That's weird. Uh, this shouldn't be a thing. They go, oh, um, well that's child abuse. Yeah. We're going to take Timmy yeah. away from you now. Why do you hate your children? Yep. That's why they're passing these laws. The The left is mm -hmm. going to try to say it's all because of hatred. But no, in reality, it's because you're grooming young children. And when parents don't get a say in the beginning, the when they find out and they try to react, you take their kids away because you're gross. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's just. Let's just go back to just basic common person thinking without having to get into all the minutia of it. And it's schools don't need to be teaching kids about sexuality. That's freaking weird. It is weird. It's very weird and it shouldn't be happening, but here we are. And they seem obsessed with it, which is so much more weird. It's just, oh, we really got to start talking to kids about what's going on downstairs. No, no, you don't. In fact, do that less because teachers commonly seem to have a problem. Public schools have a far larger problem of weird issues of touching kids than any other organization. You've heard about the Catholic church. I'm of course you've heard about the boy Scouts. You've heard about those things. Take a look at schools. Yeah. You can't go a week without there being a report of a teacher having an inappropriate sexual relationship with a student. It's super weird, but not shocking. They're super predatory. They have sexualized children. So are you shocked? No. No. Like, are kids in America, there are kids in America that can't read. There are kids in America that can't do proper math. There are kids in America that don't know how to do a household budget. But they sure as hell will know what pronouns fit their weird gender thing. That's, that's ridiculous. We all agree. Well, on that. Exactly. A lot of this comes down to people put their, people send their kids to school and then the left went, we now have a captive audience with which to twist young minds. And unfortunately, it's bizarre, but the teachers went along with it. That it's not like there's some big evil cabal directing all of this directly. It's that these left-wing teachers themselves are the nexus of this. Mm -hmm. And that's that worries me, I guess, more than anything else, is that this is not astroturfed and... Just it doesn't didn't just happen by some top down conspiracy. It's that this this sort of thing happened because the individual teachers themselves were essentially salivating over the ability to corrupt young minds at a personal level. They came up with it on their own. 
And that is much more worrisome. I think a lot of it has to do with how teachers are trained, with what is taught in colleges. So a lot of these teachers, by the end of their college career, have been essentially manipulated into becoming these left-wing activists, essentially, and then feel it is their duty to carry that activism into the teaching into the teaching sphere. And I don't really know what to do about that, but that, I think, is seems like the the actual nexus of this. It doesn't come from, you know, it do, it's not like, a, the, you know, the Hillary Clinton initiative or some evil globalist corporation is, you know, telling them to do this. Let me put on them for by themselves. Sorry, you broke much up. Much more what? alarming. What? Sorry, your uh, microphone broke up. Can you say that again? Oh, I was just uh, saying, essentially, they're coming up with it themselves. It's not like this evil run by the Democrats. The teachers are willingly doing this on their own, and that is much more alarming. Right. So one of the things um, that happened this week is uh, the <laughs> so um, podcast the podcast host uh, Matt Walsh went on Dr. Phil and had a discussion with some trans activists and the strange, I guess the strange parts of, of that discussion, there were obviously a, a lot of, um, there were a lot of discussions that happened and people I'm sure have seen some of the clips of Matt Walsh flat out asking them like define a female. But right. what I, what I found fascinating from the actual discussion was the one of the trans activists that was there. And I'm going to put the picture of this, of, of this, this guy um, up on the discord. So uh, for those of you on discord, you guys can see it. It, I talked to Alan about it a lot yesterday because this is a long-haired dude with makeup and earrings and a full beard. Yeah. And it's just, I'm a woman, you have to call me a woman. And it is the strangest thing that I can think of. I mean, I just, it is absolutely bananas to me to the point where when I first saw the clip, I thought it was a parody. I thought the daily wire did a parody where they basically got like just some dude to put a wig on and do some sort of skit with Matt Walsh. And then I found out like, no, this was real. This was national television. And there's a guy with a full beard going, I'm a woman, call me a woman. And mm -hmm. the whole trans thing is so insane to me. And I've brought this up to you before, Alan, where it's like, are we sure this isn't a right wing op? Like, are we sure that this isn't just like a really good psyop where the right wing like went in and decided like, hey, we know how we can destroy feminism. 
We know how we can destroy, like, the gay agenda. And what we'll do is we'll take their arguments to, like, the most insane conclusion and to where dudes are walking around in dresses and screaming, I'm a woman, hear me roar. And it will destroy feminism because the definition of woman will be completely erased. There's no such thing as a woman. Men can be women. And, in fact, men will now win every first woman whatever title. And the the like gay agenda will be hijacked because these people will look completely insane and everyone will go, I want nothing to do with any of this. I, I think it's, it's, it's not a bad theory. Like I'm not saying that that's actually what's happening because let's be honest. I don't think the right wing's that good or that smart. It's just that nobody can be taking this seriously. You told me one time we were on the phone, we were doing our show prep call and you walked past a guy, like a big fat dude with a big long woodsman beard wearing a dress. Yeah. And I just want to remind everybody, like to the point that Alan made a little earlier, where a lot of this is about vengeance. Tell me that that person's identity is, is, tell me that that person's identity is more around being a quote woman, or is it more around standing in a woman's bathroom and sneering at the looks that women give him when they come in and go, are you really like seriously? And that yeah. guy, that guy gets to look at them and go, you have to let me be here. You have to call me ma'am. You have to acknowledge me as a woman. I'm in control of everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me that the appeal of that is more being a woman supposedly than having all of that power to force people to do what you want them to. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's why so few essentially trannies don't make any attempt to really be passable. It's not like they're working really, really hard to look like women. It's that there's like, I'm just going to wear a dress and makeup. And people are no going to know that I'm just a man in a dress, but they're going to have to pretend I'm a woman. And that's going to, and I think that's the victory. You, you can't tell me that these people who are basically far left activists, like, yeah, you know that they are, aren't sitting there thinking, I'm going to go into the bathroom and there's going to be some old, white, conservative Trump supporting woman who's all stodgy and white and she's going to have to look at me and I'm going to blow her mind. Yeah. And she's going to have to sit there and not say anything. I, I'm sure it's about there's there has to be an element of it where it is essentially vengeance. I'm going to go out. People are going to know that I'm not a woman, but they're going to be but they are forced to pretend that I am. And that makes me feel good. Yeah, that was um, I mean. I, I've seen this with all sorts of things. Uh, I, I remember there there was a point in my life um, where, like, I remember tattoos kind of still being a little, uh, I don't know, what, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Taboo. Taboo. Yeah. Um, in certain parts of society. But during my youth, that really started to go away. Um, but I remember being, like, in my 20s and in college and knowing that, like, nobody gave a damn about tattoos anymore like nobody cared um mm -hmm. there were still kids like you would still have like that that girl or that guy 
that had like a sleeve. And I'm going to be honest here. It was way more common with women where women would have like a sleeve tattoo and they would come in and be like, I was getting glares at the, like from all these people at this store because of my tattoos. And I was like, yeah, like did somebody. And so I would ask, I'd be like, did somebody say something? Like, did they say something about your tattoos? Like, no, you could just tell. And it was like, no, you made that up. You made that up. That didn't happen. Or let's just be honest here. You have a bunch of artwork on your arm. I'm going to look at it. I look at tattoos all the time. Yeah. Like if somebody has a sleeve tattoo, my first go-to is, well, okay, well, what's going on here? And I look at it because I'm not going to lie. I think tattoos are neat. Like the well, I mean, that's the point. The point mm-hmm. is for you to look at the tattoo. It's to have something big and obnoxious that you're, you, you can't help but notice and then get upset. How dare you notice my tattoos? Right. And, and I, I just, I see so much of this other stuff being exactly the same way. Like it's the same psychology here and it's just, you're going to notice me and I'm basically going to fetishize the idea that I upset you. Yeah, exactly. Which is the reason why it's super weird these days is because, like, dude, Bank of America waves your flag. You're not counterculture. You're the establishment. You're the man. Right. Like, Rage Against the Machine is, like, Rage Against the Machine is going to write a song about trans rights and everyone's going to talk about how they're being rebels. And then they're going to be like, Holding a, uh, you know, holding a concert at Capital One Stadium and getting like a bunch of money from the tech industry. And they're still going to tell everybody how they're rebels and super punk rock. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's it, the left's entire position is that of an eternal revolution. That's it, it can never be satisfied because it's entirely based on on revolutionary politics. So it, it inevitably will always end up being just revolution after revolution. It always has to be transgressive. It always has to be like defying some set of norms. That's all it's ever capable of. Now, some of this discussion, uh, the reason why I started off this way is because it explains the next uh, segment that we're going into, um, which is we have to start off with the fact that Joe Biden's approval ratings and Democrats approval ratings overall have absolutely cratered. Now, um, we'll, we'll get into this, but, uh, one of the things I have to point out is there was a Gallup poll, uh, that was brought out this week. Now we always talk about how polls are complete BS. And the reason why polls are always BS is because they, uh, dramatically over favor Democrats and liberals. This is something that we like, this is provable by looking at polls over, especially the last five years where Democrats have consistently, uh, had higher approval ratings than reality have had higher polling numbers than reality. It's always turned out this way. Right. But think about that for a second. So the reason why we don't take polls seriously is because they oversample Democrats so now I'm going to tell you that the Biden, like Biden's approval rating is at 33%. So what's it really? Because we know Democrats have been oversampled. And right. we know that these polling places dramatically favor uh, Democrats because 
you know, uh, Trump consistently had terrible approval ratings and then got the most votes of any Republican president in history. Right. So, you know, there needs to be an explanation there. Point is, Certainly. So, so his his approval ratings are far lower than this 33%, almost guaranteed. Now, on top of that, Gallup had a poll, which, you know, Gallup's supposed to be extremely trusted. The media trusts it. The left thinks it's the gold standard of polling. Showed the largest shift in party affiliation in history between quarter one of 2021, which is the beginning of 2021, and the last quarter of 2021, the last three months of 2021, Democrats lost 17 points. Wow. So, I believe it was 17. Maybe it was 14. I'm sorry. 14 points. There was a 14-point swing where from the first quarter of 2021 to the last quarter, so in just one year, the first year of Biden's presidency, 14-point change from Democrat to Republican. That is quite a change. It's dramatic. Now, like I said, it's polls, and I understand. But the point is, is that even regular normies who take these polls are changing their affiliation from Democrat to Republican. Now, there's an issue here that we have to look out for, and there's a warning that I want to give to the audience. First of all, let's let's just let's just think about the media landscape from the first quarter to the last quarter of 2021. Everything that was discussed last year, it was that Republicans are Nazis. Republicans attempted to have a coup. Republicans tried to overthrow the will of the American people. There was an insurrection. They're all neo-Nazis. They're all hateful. Uh, constant screeching about Donald Trump. That's been the media landscape. Because understand, these were Democrats who moved to Republican. That's how that swing occurs, correct? Right. So their media right. landscape, their information landscape hasn't changed. It wasn't like a bunch of like Breitbart readers or the Tucker Carlson viewers uh, suddenly found a uh, found a uh, a um, Gallup poll. That didn't happen. These were people that were in that media landscape, hearing all of those things, that decided that they still want to be on the side of the Republicans. Now. Neoconservative places like the National Review and a lot of your kind of squishy, normy conservatives uh, in, in the information sphere, your commentators, all want to try to turn this into their thing. They want to turn this into their neocon thing, which is, well, you see, this is because we're appealing to the moderates now. And and oh. it's it's because Donald Trump's not part of the party really anymore. And it's really about our moderation. See, this is what happens when we appeal to the center left because we're, we can form a coalition. That's simply not true. And let me explain to you why I care about this. The left does this every time. When the 
when the left wing gets involved and realizes that they're going to lose power, they will start accepting certain right wing positions, easy ones for them to accept, by the way, they will accept certain right wing positions to claim that they're moderating. And it gives this idea that the, that there's a normalization of the right wing and what it does is it forces all these idiot consultants in DC to say, well, you know, if we're just a little bit lighter about social issues and if we're just like a little bit more center, we could gain all of these people. It's always a trap. It's so the left can set the rules and maintain power. It is always about yeah. that. They did that. Think about it. We had the Tea Party. And all of these other movements that were happening during the Obama administration. And what did the Republican Party give us? They gave us Mitt Romney. That happened because these idiot consultants saw this low-hanging fruit of, well, if we moderate our message because, like, even the libs are upset over Obama, let's start moderating our policies. What happened? Barack Obama had a second term. Yeah. Yeah. Moderating policies, I don't think, has ever helped the Republican Party or the right wing. Well, and that's the thing. Like I said about the media landscape and the information landscape that you're seeing, it's the opposite of what you should do. The media has made the Republican Party and the right wing way more evil. And by the way, way more powerful and able and capable than it really is. You could honestly be way more uh, extreme and still be popular. That's what you should be reading from this. That's what these dumbass consultants in D.C. should be realizing is that the Republican Party can actually get even more extreme in its positions and it would probably remain more popular because you have to think about what everyone is hearing and what they're hearing is that Republicans don't want any elite, like any immigration at all. They want to lock down borders. That's not really true. We never see them actually do anything good when it comes to immigration. But you can now because those four, the 14 points you gained think that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I think, and I think you brought this up and I thought it was a very good point that more people have shifted towards the let's say Republican party or conservative ideas. And they've been shifting to it as the media has been telling them that the right wing are all a bunch of evil racists who want nothing but the border and hurt immigrants. And it's like, well, if they're saying, if we're going to believe that the media has all this sway, well, then obviously the, the, those ideas of building a giant border wall are popular. Right. And that's the whole thing is like, yeah, uh, it's not true. The things that the media says aren't true, but from a policy perspective, people are seeing what's going on on the right and saying, I want to be more with that side. And that side is the one that says parents should have a say in their child's education. That side yeah. is the one that is saying uh, that coronavirus is ridiculous. And the restrictions that are being applied to people is insane. It, it honestly you can't look at the this data and not come back with the 
populist tinge that is happening on the right is a good thing that is appealing to people. And the reason why I say that is one of the great things that came out of stuff like Trump becoming president was that the Republican Party's agenda was literally ripped out of the hands of the actual Republican Party itself, like the the GOP, like GOP Inc. It was taken away from them. It was given to alternative media sources, random regular Americans on social media talking. And that is why this is so appealing. It is because it is main street politics and all of those consultants and donors hate the shit out of it. And they will do everything that they can to take those politics away from main street. Do not misunderstand. There are elements in the GOP that think that all of the decisions for the party need to be made on K street and Washington DC in a conference room where money exchanges hands. Sure. And they will lose, but they're going to try to convince every person at home, everyone in our audience that that's the right thing to do. They're going to have people like, I hate to get into this because I don't want to dive too much, but people like Dan Crenshaw, mm-hmm. who seems good. He seems like a decent guy. He was a Navy SEAL. You know, he's a pretty good dude. He's going to come out there and shill about the free market to keep anybody from supporting going after Google or Microsoft or Twitter or any of these other groups for the censorship, the information warfare that they've committed against the American people. Right. And the reason why, because those groups donate a huge amount of money to the GOP. Yes. It's going to be the same thing when it comes to coronavirus. Do you not think that Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson are not shoving money hand over fist at the right quotey fingers, the right Republican candidates? God I'm help sure they are. God help those massive pharmaceutical companies if in the red wave that's being projected in 2022 is made up of pissed off Americans that go, I want to know exactly what these pharmaceutical companies did and what deals they had with the United States Congress, what stock options were given, who's on the boards, why, why can't we see the data of the testing? Yeah. I mean, we are talking- I know that too. Yeah, we're talking billions of dollars that is going to go into GOP Inc. to make those candidates not win. Right. And I think that's something that we need to be very cautious of going forward is because it is absolutely certain that essentially the the enemy is going to use its huge amount of financial resources to promote Candidates for us that do not serve our interests, we need to be very cautious of the people on the right that we do support because we know that that's going to be the vector with which the movement is undermined. I mean, look at Trump. All the the American people voted Trump into power. They voted for him in primaries. They voted for him in the presidency. After he won the presidency, the normal progression should have been that the leadership of the Republican Party 
basically adopted the Trump platform as its own, saying that is what is clearly popular with our voters. Mm -hmm. But instead, you had this schism where there were all of these anti-Trump conservatives came out of the woodwork. And I think a lot of this is indicative of the fact that there are people that are trying to control the opposition, use their financial resources to do it, and those people are becoming very obvious. Anyone that was anti-Trump, I think, has to be looked at as if they were, in fact, controlled opposition. Are these people being supported financially or otherwise by the left in order to prevent an actual change of course for the country? Because that is what the never-Trump, anti-Trump Republicans did. They prevented the American people who were angry at the direction the country was headed from actually being able to change the course of their own country. And that's what we have to wonder about people like Dan Crenshaw, who does not seem to be promoting a change of course away from all of the things in the country we dislike. He seems to be promoting simply maintaining the status quo and playing along with the left. I'm not going to say he's absolutely controlled opposition or something like that, but I have to wonder because he is not taking a hard line against the things that the electorate has proven by their choices it opposes. Yeah, 100%. No, that's right there. Um, I'm going to figure out how to cut that out and just place that. That's the quote of the show so far. Well, thank you. No, because no, it's apt. That's exactly what it is. Um, it's nice, short and simple and packaged up. Great. That's exactly it is we have to be wary of these representatives. We have to be wary of elements within the GOP that are going to try to maintain the status quo. They're right. going to feed you a bunch of bullshit lines like I'm going to make sure they don't come and take your guns. I'm going to work on whatever. Um, they're going to use all the hot button social issues like guns and abortion and, and what have you. Um to try to basically say like, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to increase business, you know, and all this other yeah. nonsense that never happens, by the way, it never es happens. Especially coming off of all of the nonsense about COVID. Mm -hmm. the, the bad guys know that people are fed up. They know that their base is about as in the waiting to abandon them, they know that they become hugely unpopular. They know that their rhetoric no longer hits the way it used to. They know their propaganda efforts are decreasing in viability. They are I'm sure they are worried. If I was them, I would be very worried right now looking at the future because they have blown their credibility. And that credibility was what they used to keep people cowed into submission, saying, well, the experts say this, and academia says this, and the news media is reporting this. If you have opposite opinions, you're probably just some crazy conspiracy theorist that needs to be discarded. Now, all of those institutions have so heavily blown their credibility with so many Americans, they have to look at it, and I'm sure they're all thinking, how do we go forward? How do we stop the inevitable backlash we're going to get from people as our essentially mountain of lies is more and more uncovered? And I'm certain that they are looking at it and saying, we need to find some way to have a pressure relief valve of 
reactionary politics that doesn't actually oppose our power, that doesn't actually stop these things, but only lets people feel like they're doing something. Right. That keeps people <laughs> essentially confused or keeps people's energy elsewhere, not on following through with all this momentum that's been built after COVID. I'm sh like the enemy is, I'm sure, worried and you, we have to be ready for them to act to essentially keep power in, in that way. They're, like, it, you know, all we talk about fed ops and all of the controlled opposition that all just logically thinking that's all going to get much, much worse because they feel on the ropes and they feel that the normal sources that they've been able to hold on to power have degraded seriously. Well, and to that point, that's actually a really good segue into the, the further discussion here, which is Joe Biden held a press conference. Now, Joe Biden's cratering in the polls. The Democrat Party's cratering in the polls. And so obviously this was a Hail Mary. It was like, OK, well, let's let's get Joe <clears throat> out there to finally hold a press conference, because let's just be honest. Um, it used to be people would always whine about like Trump going and playing golf or what the hell ever. Like, I don't know a time when Joe Biden has not been on vacation. Like, I'm dead serious. He's on vacation again, like, right now. He's on vacation all the time, which, okay, I don't see that as a bad thing. Like, I'm not going to complain about it. The guy's an idiot, so the less that he right. has to do, you know, and what's really the bad part? He needs his rest. Um, the point is, <laughs> is finally one of the biggest complaints that comes from liberals themselves is, well, Joe Biden's never in front of the press. He has done less press conferences than even Donald Trump, which is a weird comparison because Trump was in front of the press a lot. But the idea here is that he's not friendly to the press. And there were several reports that came out. So obviously the white house communication staff decided let's hold a press conference and let's start off by shilling about how it was the longest in history. <laughs> this was a terrible idea. Democrats knew even when Joe Biden was running for president, that the one thing you don't do is put him in public. You do yeah. not do that. He, you know, he, quote, won the presidency um, by staying in his basement in Delaware. And as he's gone on, it's definitely one of those things that like, hey, not having him in front of a camera is the best thing you can do with Joe Biden. Uh, because <laughs> when Joe Biden's in front of a camera, it is a terrible, terrible thing. Now, just to give you an example of that, uh, here's one of the things that Joe Biden said during his rambling, crazy press conference. So I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. Ah, good. So... He let Vladimir Putin know that, well, you know, if it's a minor incursion, you know, it won't be a big deal. <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> that's probably a good idea. Now, to be fair, um, I think Ukraine is ridiculous. Like, okay, actually, let me let me rephrase that. Uh, everybody, I think, in America is going, can, they won't say it out loud because I already know how the reactions are going to go. And so I'm going to give you the play-by-play -play here, which is the question every American has on their mind is, why do I give a damn about Ukraine? And the response back is, why do you love Russia? 
so nobody will ask that yeah. question. But right. let me ask, why does anyone care about the Ukraine? And also, um, Americans have heard a lot about Ukraine. A lot. For a country that's, not going to lie, not super notable, Americans have heard heard the, the term Ukraine a lot, and it's not because of Crimea. It keeps coming up, which is all fascinating to me, and I am constantly trying to figure out why. Well, I mean, what? I've always solidly held the opinion that Ukraine is the globalist piggy bank of corruption. Yeah, I believe that. Now, I know that this is going to be a difficult ask for you because of how crazy and convoluted it is. But can you just describe some of the weird stuff that you found when you were looking into Ukraine? It doesn't have to be solid. Just literally sure. go as insane with me. Go as insane with the audience as you did with me when you were trying to explain this. So it's very, very strange. There is a long history of U.S. involvement in Ukraine that goes back to the fall of the Soviet Union. Let me get my pages of schizophrenic notes that I scribbled down here, and I'm starting to string together with red twine on a giant pin board that looks like a crazy person. So essentially, the United States has been heavily involved in the Ukraine ever since the fall of the Soviet Union, especially with things like big loans to help them rebuild their infrastructure or fight corruption and all of this weird stuff. And all of this stuff keeps relating back to the back to U.S. politics in a big way, for which seems disproportionate for a country like the Ukraine. A lot of it seems to have to do with natural gas and the flow of resources from Russia into Europe. Here's some, here's some key points to remember. Paul Manafort. I don't know if any of you remember Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort was a gentleman that worked for Trump. He got sent to jail. There's a whole bunch of nonsense about that. That was tied to U.S. government activities in the Ukraine. Then we have, of course, there's the Hunter Biden scandal, where Hunter Biden was in Ukraine working for this comp this Ukrainian energy, like natural gas supplier called Burisma. And then Joe Biden and the Obama administration essentially conspired with the Ukrainian government to force the prosecutor to get fired, who was looking into corruption charges involving Hunter Biden and this company, Burisma. Now, and it wasn't just the Biden administration, the, or the Obama administration using Joe Biden. Joe Biden traveled to Ukraine in 2015 that essentially said and said, the U.S. government will not will withhold a $1 billion loan that we were going to give you to help fight the Russians after they invaded Crimea. We will withhold that loan unless you fire the prosecutor who's been looking into my son's dealings with this company. And then at the same time, the International Monetary Fund delayed a $40 billion loan until that prosecutor's fire, fired. The EU and the G7 summit also demanded this prosecutor was fired because this prosecutor is looking into the connections between Hunter Biden, this Burisma natural gas supplier, and the Ukrainian oligarch who, who ran it. And then suddenly all of these Western allies demanded the prosecutor got fired and withheld their loans to Western Ukraine until that happened. Then you have the whole Trump impeachment scandal where Trump essentially said, hey, um, I kind of am I'm going to with I'm going to withhold aid 
unless you investigate the Hunter Biden Burisma connection. And then Trump was in they, they impeached Trump for that or tried to. And all of this is connected. Now you have the current issues in the Ukraine where the United States is saying Ukraine should be part of NATO and Russia's like, please don't make it part of NATO. All of this is related. There is something very weird and very corrupt involving a ton of powerful elite people and organizations in the West are heavily involved in Ukraine and have been for decades. And somehow all of this relates to natural gas and resource extraction and Russian gas pipelines. And none of this is being alleged in the press, but it's all there when you just peel back a couple layers. For example, in 2014, Ukraine, uh, the, there was the Crimea incident, but Ukraine then, Russia then stopped selling all natural gas to Ukraine. But Russian natural gas flowing to Europe flows in huge quantity through Ukrainian pipelines. The, and again, I don't know exactly what to make this, but it's somehow very, very strange that Ukraine's natural gas needs are met predominantly by Poland and Hungary who every year run a natural gas production to consumption deficit, but who also buy tons of natural gas from Russia through the pipelines that run through the Ukraine. So the the Ukrainian natural gas that the that they buy and for their country is essentially Russian natural gas that gets piped through their country, is bought in Poland, and then resold and shipped on other pipelines back into the Ukraine. I'm very confused by all of this. Additionally, you have all of these far-right, quote, fascist groups that very legitimately have neo-Nazi iconography. They promote this sort of a neo-Nazi ideology. They call Russia the Jewish Moscow mafia. And these people are armed and supported and integrated into the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense. But the Ukrainian government Three of its four last prime ministers were Jewish, and the current president is Jewish, yet they're supporting these neo-Nazi groups that say the only reason they're active and active is because they are opposing the Jewish-Moscow alliance. None of this makes any sense. It all seems very, very strange. There's a ton of allegations that the West was behind the 2014 coup that ousted the pro-Moscow a president, it just is a very strange and convoluted thing that clearly there is more going on beneath the surface via large moneyed interests in the West involved in the Ukraine very heavily and wanting to essentially capture it economically into the Western sphere of influence. And that seems like it is a much, much bigger nexus of the conflict than Russia, NATO, and any sort of security concerns. Maybe maybe on Russia's side, but there is very strange things. And just think of with U.S. politics. Paul Manafort, Trump's impeachment, the Joe Biden and Hunter Biden stuff. All of this is happening in the Ukraine, and I want to know why. I want to know what the connection is. How is... How was the Obama administration so heavily involved in the Ukraine that it was with the International Monetary Fund forcing them to fire a prosecutor that was looking into Hunter Biden's business dealings? And then Trump gets impeached 
for bringing up those same business dealings. That means something probably very corrupt was going on with those business dealings that was connected with the Obama White House and all of these other institutions like the International Monetary Fund. Something about the whole Ukraine situation stinks and is vastly more complicated than anyone is letting on. What's really interesting, just a, a couple of notes on, on that whole rundown. Um, number one, right. Like we all know about Ukraine because it keeps getting brought up. There, there seems to be all of these, you know, different groups and everybody involved in it. And nobody really knows why or what the hell's going on. And if you ask questions, you get into trouble and you go to jail or you get impeached. Right. (laughs) Um, so, but, but to the same point, um, one thing that you brought up, which we don't need to dive too far into because it kind of speaks for itself, is <clears throat> yesterday when we were doing the show prep call, you, you know, you brought up the fact that, well, all of these defense contractors, the military industrial complex, as it is, um, just lost its biggest uh, revenue generation uh, that it's had for 20 years, which was we yeah. left Afghanistan. That's billions of dollars that, yeah. let's be honest... Do we need to have the defense budget that we had before? No, we're not at war anymore. We don't need a wartime budget. Well, do you honestly think all those retired generals and lobbyists and guys who know Congress members by name are going to just turn around and go, no, it's okay that I suddenly lost hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year. No, that's fine. It's totally fine that the acting secretary of defense, I'm sure the acting secretary, or not acting, the current secretary of defense is not getting any phone calls from his former board members from Raytheon. Yeah. For those so, of you who don't know, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, left his board position at Raytheon, the defense contractor, to become the Secretary of Defense. I'm yeah. sure he's not getting any phone calls from the members of the board about their stock price or their profit this year. Exactly. So... Here's This is another entire aspect. When you and I were in Afghanistan, I was shocked by how many private defense contracting organizations were active in Afghanistan. They were the ones running the bases. They were running the chow halls. They were doing maintenance on vehicles. There was an enormous footprint of defense contracting private companies supporting the U.S. war effort. And there was like one of the reasons people talk about, oh, it costs a billion dollars a day to fight in Afghanistan. Part of that was it was a billion dollars a day flowing into the private, into the hands of these private companies that basically were building this, operating the support network for U.S. offensive operations. All of those companies suddenly lost all those contracts when we left Afghanistan. We've left Iraq. All of that money dried up in the space of a couple years. All of these companies also were getting these contracts by taking people like taking congressmen out to dinner, paying for congressmen to come and play a round of golf with them. All of that money was being funneled into campaign contributions. Groups were basically getting a billion dollar, a million dollars to build a well in Afghanistan and turning around and throwing a bunch of that money back into the campaign contribution for a bunch of congressmen and senators that approved their contract. So you can't tell me that, like, so at least I have to suspect that entire system of defense contractors, 
working with politicians to approve defense contracts to funnel tax money into their coffers who spend that tax money securing more government contracts, that doesn't just go away overnight. Those people know all these congressmen on a first-name basis. They have a bunch of money to spend. It's not crazy to think that those congressmen are being pressured to find a new source to funnel tax money into these private organizations to get the campaign contributions again. Mm -hmm. From 2014 to 2019, the United States government spent $2.5 billion sending military aid to the Ukraine. Who got that money? They were buying U.S. arms. They were buying U.S. helmets, night vision goggles, tactical vests. They were buying all of that from American companies and then shipping it to Ukraine with your tax dollars. I want to know who who profited in the United States from that $2.5 billion spent in the Ukraine. Because they weren't just giving it to the Ukrainians. They were buying U.S. equipment and then shipping it at your expense to the Ukraine. The... I mean, we and we've done a bunch of military operations there. Uh, there is the U.S. Operation Fearless Guardian, which used the 173rd Airborne to train Ukrainian militias, essentially to fight against Russia. Well, what else was that money going towards? When they say train Ukrainian militias, who was buying? Tra- who was supplying the training materials? Who was supplying the Ukrainian English dictionaries? There has to be a giant footprint behind logistical footprint behind all of these operations. And it wouldn't surprise me if the same people that were profiteering off of Afghanistan and Iraq are now trying to profiteer off of a civil war slash insurgency in the Ukraine. Uh, There is also in September of 2014, a a giant U.S. exercise in Ukraine. Now, remember, Russia invades the Crimea. There's a coup, a Western, a coup in the Ukraine in 2014, Russia invades and captures the Crimea in 2014. Also in 2014, the U.S.-sponsored exercise Rapid Trident, where the 173rd Airborne and a bunch of NATO countries did a big military exercise in western Ukraine. Somebody had to pay for the fuel. Somebody had to pay for all the food. It All of that comes from U.S. tax dollars. And all of that also then comes from U.S. private defense contract contracting companies. We're talking right now about selling arms to the Ukrainians. Well, we're selling arms that are produced by Raytheon, that are produced by all of these American companies that are then going to get big paychecks from the government to give the government arms that they will then ship to the Ukraine. It is is absolutely logical to think that all of these State Department people, these people in the Pentagon, and all of these defense company lobbyists who have spent the last 20 years of their careers working together to war profiteer off of the global war on terror, are now looking at the Ukraine crisis as a way to get the gravy train rolling again. Maybe there's reasons to invade the Ukraine. Maybe there's reasons for U.S. military force, etc. But we have to acknowledge that there is absolutely a big um, a large amount of energy behind getting the gov- essentially laundering tax dollars into the coffers of private companies, which then can get turned into campaign contributions through the military industrial complex. That's that's what that is. And it is real. And it looks like they are trying to t- ratchet it back up using the Ukraine crisis as a justification. 
We're talking about spending even more money. Well, who is that money going to go to? And what politicians, generals, board members of Raytheon, et cetera, who's going to benefit? These are very valid questions. And I think they color a great deal of our insistence on creating a crisis in the Ukraine. I think everybody wants to turn Ukraine into a giant insurgency against Russia because then it'll be a giant sinkhole that they can sink billions in tax dollars into that can then get turned back into essentially a grift mechanism to defraud the American tax base again, like they did the last 20 years. Well, I, for one, am horrified that you would even question the free market. How dare you? Exactly. Uh, obviously, you're a pro-Russian puppet, and Dan Crenshaw is going to have you taken out. That's yeah, And that's exactly the thing. We talk about military aid to all of these countries. We're giving, we give, I think it's like $100 billion to Israel over the last couple of years. It's all in termed military aid. That military aid is not free. It's not like we've, it's that we're paying U.S. companies to produce arms with U.S. tax dollars that we then give to these foreign companies. And the people producing those arms make a huge amount of profit. And it is only natural to wonder how much of this is being done above board and how much of this is essentially a manipulation by the people running these companies to make a huge amount of money. Oh, interesting. So Old Goat on the chat says they left all the equipment in Afghanistan so they can make and sell more. Yeah, that I mean, that holds. Shoot. Yeah. Now, another thing, um, aside from obviously all the profiteering that can happen, the large amount of money that no longer exists because there's no longer a mission in Afghanistan, it also needs to be brought up that uh, it's not uncommon at all in fact it's the most common that when a president starts slipping badly in the polls it's always a good idea to start a war in fact they made an entire movie about that called wag the dog it's such a meme that hollywood made a movie based around the idea of a president coming up on re-election was not doing so well in the polls so they faked a war to get him re-elected huh like, that's the plot of a movie. <laughs> but so, you know, you have Biden who's doing terrible domestically. And for no real reason at all, we're staring at the possibility of getting involved in some sort of uh, some sort of aggression or whatever between uh, with Russia because of Ukraine. And the justification that I always hear is, well, Russia's really bad. Okay, then go to war with Russia. Well, no. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, if... Why if do we need a pretext for war with Russia if they're just so super-duper bad? Well, that's exactly it, right? And it's like, well, we're going to wait for them to invade Ukraine. Okay, so why do we care what happens with Ukraine? Well, it would be just super-duper bad if they invaded the Ukraine because Ukraine's like a democracy, Right. Yeah, oh, but are they democracy? Because let me let me point out a couple of things that you brought up when you were going through your rundown of what goes on in Ukraine. So this is supposed to be a democracy, right? And democracies are great and wonderful and and just the the best. Right. And, we all just love democracies. They're right. Russia is a horrible, awful, authoritarian 
uh, dictator state going after the lovely, perfect, uh, wonderful democracy that is Ukraine. Except in 2014, there was a coup. Also, uh, another term you could use would be like, I don't know, an insurrection? There was an elected president and several members of parliament that were basically chased out by armed militias from Western Ukraine. Now, the excuse that's used is, well, he was that president was pro Moscow. Well, but he was still elected by the Ukrainian people, unless you're going to tell me that the election was stolen. I've never seen any of those accusations. So the guy was elected by the Ukrainian people and then a bunch of armed militias staged a coup in 2014. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Now, then after they staged the coup, it wasn't just the president, but the a large chunk of the Ukrainian parliament also fled out of fear by out of threat from these armed militias that were surrounding the Ukrainian parliament. They Hmm. fled and then the remaining members of the Ukrainian parliament essentially started passing any and all laws that they want. This would be similar to if, say, say January 6th was actually a coup and all of the Democrats fled in horror. And then the remaining Republicans just started passing amendments to the Constitution. And we would look at that and go, OK, all of this is illegitimate. You can't just do that. Come on. But that's what happened in the Ukraine. And so we're now, and then the U.S., again, the the U.S. is heavily involved with the Ukrainian government. The same Ukrainian government that is made up of people that passed a bunch of laws in the middle of the night after they forced all of their opposition to flee the country under threat of armed militias. It is a wholly illegitimate government. And we support, and the United States supports it, because it is an illegitimate government that they can control. Now, so there's that. So there was an insurrection, but apparently it was okay. Right. Because right. the insurrection was against people they didn't like. True. They're bad. They're real bad. They're the rush, the Russians. Right. Right. Uh, but, but reason, also we're the excuse to me. It's like, Yeah. Sorry. I don't know why the Russians are the bad guy. Well, the excuse is going to be used that, well, Ukraine is a wonderful, glowing democracy. They want to be part of the West because they're just this great democracy and Russia's awful authoritarians. Oh, my gosh. Except there was an insurrection where they committed a coup using armed militias and chased out the elected government of the Ukraine and replaced it and then passed a bunch of laws. That's not a democracy. That's not how democracies work. But we're just going to ignore that. And they're going to say Ukraine's a great, wonderful, awesome democracy. Gee, and by the way, it's also been rated one of the most corrupt countries in the world. None of that matters because apparently yeah. Russia's worse, I guess, because the Cold War still exists. I don't know. Um, and by the way, like Russia can still be bad, but that doesn't make Ukraine good. Exactly. Now, to the same point, though, we've also brought up these armed militias, many of which were neo-Nazi ultra-nationalist militias, which are like super bad. Like the horror story that the media claims about January 6th actually occurred in Ukraine. 
a bunch of neo-Nazis overthrew the government. Yeah. A bunch of pro-Western Ukrainian militias, like the, what is it, the Asimov Battalion? Uh, the Azov Battalion Azov is kind Battalion. of the main one. Like, these are groups that overthrew the government in Ukraine, who, the reason why was they were chasing out the Jewish Moscow, like, mob, or the Jewish Moscow mafia, chasing them out of Russia, or chasing them out of Ukraine. These are yeah. the people that the U.S. is saying, oh, we've got to stand up for them. Hilariously, right. to make it even more, almost, almost a parody, the current president of Ukraine, yeah, was an actor who played the president in a comedy, Hilarious. and people liked him, and he got elected. He was not a politician; he was an actor who played the president in a comedy and they elected him president. Now, I don't know a lot about Zelensky. I don't know a lot about his politics, but just remember Donald Trump was awful because he was quote, a reality TV host, even though he had a billion dollar company that he'd spent decades building before he retired to host a TV show. This guy literally just played the president on TV and Ukraine is so jacked up that people went, I'll take that guy over literally anyone else. Yeah. But that's the healthy democracy. That's supposed to be a healthy democracy and certainly isn't corrupt as hell. Come on. It, it most certainly is corrupt as hell. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying anything necessarily against the Ukrainian people. I think it's terrible that there's all of this strife that's going on in their country we're certainly not helping by the way we're not helping the ukrainian citizens by getting nato to basically getting nato to put ukraine in a position where russia's absolutely going to aggress upon them and i'm saying that specifically because there's not a single person advising nato that didn't know that any of this was going to happen in this in the summer of 2021 when nato decided to reaffirm that they wanted to let ukraine into nato they knew for a fact there's absolutely no way that there were not multiple intelligence briefings that stated when we do this russia will mass at the border and they will take it as an act of aggression we are prolonging the civil disruption the violence and the basic chaos that's going on in Ukraine, that was absolutely exacerbated by that announcement. And there was no good reason for NATO to make it except for to goad Russia into getting aggressive. Exactly. We are, the United States is doing a terrible disservice to the Ukrainian people by promoting this idea that they're going to be somehow freer if they go along with this plot to add them to NATO. It's only going to serve to ruin the country. This is why I I firmly believe a lot of this is about, for lack of a better term, oligarchs in the United States using Ukraine as a tax shelter and a way to launder money and make just huge amounts of cash 
And I think that that makes more sense to me than anything else. Because it seems ludicrous that we would be intentionally doing this for no benefit. What is the benefit to the United States of, of Ukraine joining NATO compared with what is the detriment when Russia decides that decides it is U.S. aggression? Does Russia start selling? T- I mean, the problem with this is there's no benefit from the benefits of Ukraine joining NATO are vastly outstripped by the detriments caused by Russia trying to find any and every way to ruin the United States. Russia and China could team up, decide the United States is essentially a danger to themselves, and ruin our currency. Russia could start selling tactical... Russia could say an invasion of the Ukraine is a clear violation of Russian sovereignty and an act of war because they have stated that it is that Russia, that Ukraine joined NATO is an act of war against Russia. And as such, all of our nuclear treaties are null and void, and we're going to start selling nuclear-tipped cruise missiles to Iran. Now, maybe they're not going to do something that crazy, but we have a lot of very convenient treaties with Russia that, if pressed, they could do things that would make it very difficult for the United States and the world stage. Right now, they're not selling certain top-tier weapons to our enemies. But they could. They could say the U.S. aggression in the Ukraine by adding them to NATO is a clear detriment to Ukraine, the Ukrainian security. And that means we're going to start stationing uh, Iskander-M missiles all across every Eastern European territory. We're going to start selling them to Iran. We're going to sell them to Syria. We are going to arm everyone the United States opposes with the most modern and effective weapons in the Russian arsenal. That is a that is a way bigger threat to U.S. national security than adding Ukraine to NATO that people like John McCain, back when he was still alive, already have affirmed that it is not in the U.S. strategic interest. Ukraine is not a core U.S. strategic interest. Yeah. Now, and adding them to NATO... Why would we give it is Ukraine such a strategic interest of the United States that we would add them to NATO, which gives them the ability to trigger the Article five of the NATO convention, which is every NATO country comes to war in defense, come, goes to war in defense of any other NATO country. Why would we put our ass out in the wind? With Ukraine like that, that all Ukraine has to do is get uppity with Russia and the U.S. by the NATO treaty is forced to go to war with another nuclear armed power. That seems really, really, really dangerous and it is not worth the trivial benefit of adding Ukraine to NATO. Right. And, and you know, I wonder, because I don't know a lot about Ukrainian politics, because Jesus, why would I? But is it possible that maybe Zelensky, you know, having been a comedian, suddenly started, like, cracking open some books and taking a look at some things. Like, is there, I mean, maybe maybe people can look it up. Maybe people in the audience can let us know. But is there some indication that perhaps the Ukrainian government started taking a look at what was going on inside it and investigating some of these Western influences that were happening and some of these cash deals that were going on. And now the West is like, Ooh, 
Um, you know, if Russia started aggressing against the Ukraine, that certainly would distract them from uh, peeling open the books. Because that is the one thing that we do know, is the elites in the United States, primarily the U.S. government, get real nervous when anyone starts looking into how cash is made in Ukraine by Americans. They yes. impeached a president over asking that question. Right. So do you, like, they impeached an elected president in their own country for asking the question about why some of this stuff was going on in Ukraine. Do you honestly think that they would be above starting a war? I don't think they would be. Because to them, it's not a war. That's the other part. I don't think we're, we will not see the United, U.S. troops killing Russian soldiers on the ground. Right. That, I think that's just too far of a line to cross. What we might see at the might see at the very most is maybe an air an air war over Western Ukraine or no fly zone or something weird like that. But it just it doesn't seem like we're going to get an actual hot hot war between the United States and, and Russia at least initially. Maybe it could build to that, and that would be very unfortunate. But. I think we have to look at it as a, is they're planning a proxy war. They are planning to try it. They're planning with the with glee in their little black ghoulish hearts, thinking we I just had to spend the last 20 years, 20 years of my work in the State Department dealing with fighting an insurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan. Wouldn't it be awesome to be on the other side of that kind of conflict? We should drag Russia into that sort of thing so I can play the other side of the insurgency and we can arm the rebels. We can all make a bunch of money. Isn't that going to be great? So I think the whole plan, at least right now, my theory is they're trying to goad Russia into invading the Ukraine so they can then make millions selling arms to the Ukraine and they can try and bog Russia down in a failed insurgency that they think is going to weaken Russia like the Afghan, Afghan and Iraqi insurgencies weakened America. They're operating on that playbook. They look at those as those weakened America. We could weaken Russia if we get them contrived to get them involved in some insurgency. No, that's exactly it. And like I said, you know, you connect everything together. There was the lost money from GWAT. You've got. Uh, yeah. Biden's failing ratings, you've his his failing ratings and all that. It it all just comes together for the the perfect stew of taking a look at it and going, okay, so this is why suddenly we care about Ukraine. Um, it's all exactly. a distraction and a deflection, and uh, we we have no reason to be involved. And like I said, we're trying to get ahead of the arguments that we know are going to happen next week. Uh, Anthony Blinken is meeting with Sergey Lavrov. Um, who's the foreign minister for Russia, uh, where uh, Russia has demanded that the U.S. actually like put its position in writing. And that is going to be the predicate. Um, most likely, at least my assumption, is that everything that they that the U.S. State Department puts out is going to be a complete non-starter. Then they're all then the U.S. media is going to try to run top cover and say that Russia's just being so like aggressive and they're just they're they're refusing to like acknowledge anything the U.S. says, blah, blah, blah. And they're all going to start trying to morally justify it as big, mean Russia and like I said, to get ahead of all of the people who want to scream Russia puppet or Russia supporter, Russia can be bad, but that doesn't make Ukraine good. 
Right. But, it also doesn't make Russia someone that we need to ha- go to war with. Yeah. Why like, do we need to do that? In fact, I, I'm almost going to say I support I support Russia because those people need a win. They have to deal with the Soviet Union. They have to deal with the you know collapse post Soviet Union. I want the Russians to get a win just because they it's it just sucks for them. <laughs> Russia sucks and they need a win. <laughs> I think Russia can get oh, I think things can improve in Russia. I think they can get a win and I don't think it's a zero sum game. I think the United States can benefit and be a totally fine thriving country and so can Russia at the same time. I would absolutely I think it is possible. It would be welcome and I think it would be beneficial if the United States and Russia were not at each other's throats and were, say, united against our more common enemy, which is China. The United States needs to spend a lot more energy opposing China than it needs to spend on Russia. And I don't think Russia deserves all of this ire, and I think it's entirely contrived by these same people that lie to us about everything else because they want to make a, a huge amount of money. Or right. something, or some other bizarre constraint. But I think there's no reason why they, things could improve for Russia and the United States and everybody could be better off. I mean, that is an interesting thing that we can't really dive into now because we have to get on to the next segment. But, right. you know, like, why are we friendlier with China? That's a very good question. I mean, China makes a lot of our cheap cheap plastic nonsense. So right. They well, got that going for them. Yeah, maybe, maybe because Russia isn't, you know is trying to step away from globalism and is trying to step away from all of that nonsense. It is kind of interesting to bring up though, because yeah, we're a lot friendlier with China and China has like literally concentration camps and forced slave labor. Yeah. But they're, I guess, I guess they're better than Russia because Russia supposedly is like, they're supposedly awful, terrible thugs and they kill journalists and their political opponents and all of these things. This is what we're told. Right. In, and, and they, US and they media. take, like, Russia's ruled by, like, one party and they put people that dissent in jail for years at a time without trial. And they do exactly what the U.S. government has done to conservatives post January 6th. Yeah. They have a state run media that all it does is lie. It's like, there's no way you can attack Russia without going, well, the U.S. basically does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is definitely one of the points that's commonly made uh, that causes liberal journalists to screech, you're probably part of a Russian troll farm. Yeah. But speaking of the it, media it just, lying. The, the whole thing seems very, very contrived, mm-hmm. and that makes me very nervous about it because it seems like we are being led on the path of war and conflict by people who stand to make a lot of money from that war and conflict. And we're being sold. And us, the Ukrainians, the rest of Western of Western Europe are all being sold a bill of goods that is not in our interest. Well, speaking of um, putting people in camps and uh, taking your political opponents and throwing them in jail, uh, Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how uh, the COVID mask is basically the left's MAGA hat. So oh, that's a great analogy. I love that. This is this has been a this has been a concept that we've talked about so many times before. Um, but the reality is, is that all of the mask theater, everybody knows that when you tell a liberal when a liberal hears the word unvaccinated, they hear Trump's supporter. And uh, there's a video yeah. going around that's viral right now that um, a lot of people are pointing out. 
uh, coming from Barry Weiss, uh, who was a writer for the New York Times. And uh, she was on Bill Maher's program, and she talked about uh, how how dumb all the COVID nonsense is, which, you know, I'm supposed to be excited and clap because liberal who shit all over conservatives for years um, suddenly says things that conservatives have been saying this entire time that people like us have been saying for years, and we're supposed to be super excited, even though uh, this is one of the people who is part of the problem. Uh, but this is what she had to say during Bill Maher's program. I'm done. With this question? No, I'm, I'm done with COVID. Uh, I'm done. It's yeah. like I, I went so hard on COVID. I yeah, sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like, I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like, we all did it, right? A lot of us did do it. And then we were told, you get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be you know smeared as a trumper i'm sorry if you believe the science you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago and you will find out that cloth masks do not do anything you will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying omicron and you will realize most importantly that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think... So people are cheering Barry Weiss here because she's saying literally everything the right has been saying the entire time. Masks don't work. Your vaccine means nothing. You can still transmit. We shouldn't be forcing kids into virtual learning. There's a huge uptick in suicide. She's saying literally everything that has gotten every single conservative commentator banned. And you hear the crowd cheer. You hear the crowd scream over her pointing this out because this is absolutely this is 100% absolutely how most Americans feel. Now, Chris is saying, welcome to the party. Well, yeah, welcome to the party and the idea of welcome to stuff that we've said, but not welcome to the party party, meaning the Republican party, right. because this is horseshit. Like, yeah, I'm so excited that Barry Weiss finally figured it out. What I'm not excited about is her and her friends at the New York Times and her friends in liberal media What they're not going to say is, I'm sorry you were right. They're never going to say that. We told you this for years. And the quiet part that she said out loud was, my liberal friends will not talk about this because they don't want to get called anti-vax, anti-science, or smeared as a Trumper. That is 100% the reason why we are still stuck in COVID hysteria because the cloth mask is the freaking MAGA hat 
of the left. To them, it is a virtue signal that they're on the right side. And that's all it's ever been. And they don't ever want it to go away. Right. And until there is a refutation of that and all the things that made this happen, all of this is meaningless. These liberals can be upset. Oh, I'm so upset about those mandates. None of it makes sense. And I've been being lied to. They can be upset about that. But until they refute the core liberal dogmas and nonsense that they've supported, all of this meaningless because they will let it happen again. Yes. It doesn't matter how upset they are because they will let all of this happen to them again until they admit that the right wing was correct and that they are essentially brainwashed idiots. Well, and there's, here's, here's there's the no way forward without that kind of atonement. You hear, you hear that crowd cheer loudly cheer. These are all liberals. There are conservatives that watch Bill Maher. Oh my God. Like, no people who go and watch Bill Maher in, in studio. No, they, these are all liberals. Uh, they're all liberals who think they're super smart because that's the whole thing of Bill Maher is, I'm really smart. I listen to NPR and watch Bill Maher. Like, we all know how this goes. Now, right. this is how you know. Like, you heard how excited these people were. They're at 100% acknowledging, oh, yeah, you're right. Everything is stupid. You're absolutely right. It's stupid. Yet, mm-hmm. there was a poll conducted where 59% of Democrats think that unvaccinated Americans should be forced to stay in their homes and only allowed out in the case of an emergency. And of that, 48% of them support the federal government imprisoning unvaccinated Americans. Right. Those two things don't make any sense. Barry Weiss getting cheers from a bunch of coastal shit libs and 48% of Democrats thinking that unvaccinated people need to be thrown in jail. Those two things don't make any sense. Except for if you realize that when they hear the word unvaccinated, they hear Trump, Trumper, exactly like Barry Weiss said, we don't talk about it because people might call you a Trumper. What we're really getting out of this poll isn't anything to do with vaccines. It isn't anything to do with COVID. What we're getting out of this poll is 48% of Democrats want Trump supporters, conservative Americans, Republican Americans put in jail. 59% of them want them at a minimum kept in their homes. Right. Because at the end of the day, no matter how upset they are about all this COVID nonsense, they hate their opposition more. They, they hate the racists more than they'll, they will ever hate their side for pushing mandate mass mandates on them. Yeah. They hate Trump more than they will ever be able to hate their own side for destroying their kids' education. For destroying their kids' future, potentially. Yeah. And that's now, what makes them so dangerous. Now, is I, the level of hatred they have towards their political enemies that is all astroturf, by the way, is so deeply ingrained in their own sense of morality that they, I would be amazed if they were ever able to let it go, regardless of what the left does to them. They they can be probably abused an incredible amount. And will still always fall back to the nice, safe, comfortable, warm feeling they get by saying, at least I'm not one of those dumb racist rednecks. The the amazing part is, like, I agree with her. This will be looked back by our children as one of the greatest moral crimes that's ever been committed. 
But you can't say that without also acknowledging that it it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Like liberals don't get to sit there and be like, oh, my God, I'm so shocked. You did. You politicized the shit out of this entire pandemic. Specifically, you politicized this so much. You made this all political. This was never about a virus. You politicized the shit out of this. And now you're going to sit there and be like, oh, my God, it's so crazy how bad it is. You did this. None of this actually had to happen. None of this had to be politicized. This 100% could have been, we have a virus, we're going to take some precautions, we're going to look at the data continually, and we are going to like fast track some vaccines out. That could have been the yep. answer. And then the government could have basically said, okay, we're going to start going back to business as usual now that we have a grip of it within just months of finding out about this and then roll out vaccines and everything's fine. It could have not been the subject that people had to hear every goddamn day, but instead you had to sit there and constantly make it a political football. You made it a political football because of all of the control and all of the power that you got. So go to hell. Don't you dare sit there as a person who writes for the media and go, Oh my God, is this so weird? We should do something. You did this unless you're going to go and, walk into the New York times and physically accost every single reporter who has lied to Americans for two years. I don't believe you. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it is going to be very, very hard to move forward unless there is a very sincere acknowledgement and apology by people on the left over what they've done and what they allowed themselves to be twisted into. Without that, it is, it's all just going to happen again and it's going to be impossible to heal and come together as a country. And a lot of people might ask this question, which is if this is true, if all this is true, why aren't there more doctors speaking out? And let me explain to you, this is just one story, but this is happening all over the country. Like, why aren't you seeing a bunch of doctors speak out? If all of this is true, that's one of the greatest ways that they say, well, if it were true, then you would be hearing doctors talk about it. Right? Sure. In Maine, Dr. Merrill Nass, who graduated from MIT, had her license suspended and has to go over, undergo a psychological evaluation to get it back because she prescribed ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to patients with COVID. Yep. So uh, if you want to know why doctors or 99% of scientists agree, uh, it's because you get put in the camps. For disagreeing. It's because you're called crazy and you lose your license for disagreeing. I mean, those two medications were given to Joe Rogan, who is now they're trying to cancel because he had the audacity to not die from COVID and told his biggest podcast audience in the world that he took those things and he felt better and he was sick for a couple of days. And that infuriated the left. Because you can't say that because, well, Congress members don't get stock options for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Yep. And the final thing that we'll put out for the show today is, speaking of Joe Rogan, remember there were 270 doctors who signed a letter saying that his medical misinformation was a danger to society? Well, here's the reality. The letter began with, as physicians... But in reality, it was signed by 50 PhD academics, those aren't doctors, around 60 college professors who were not medical doctors, 29 nurses, 10 students, 4 medical residents, and a handful of science podcasters. 
Mm-hmm. Also, the authors of the letter, Jessica Rivera and Ben Ryan, are also not medical doctors. Jessica Rivera has a master's degree. She's not a doctor. And Ben Ryan is a doctoral academic who researches psychiatry. Hmm. So I shit you not in a letter talking about medical misinformation and disinformation and misleading the public. The entire letter itself was a lie. It was misinformation. It was misleading the public. And every major news network has the headline, 270 doctors sign letter against Joe Rogan. It, this is literally where the quote experts are. It is a bunch of doctors in feminist glaciology saying, excuse me, do you not notice how it says Dr. Mary on my Twitter handle? You have to listen to me when I talk about COVID. Yeah, par for the course. Yeah. Par for the course for these people. Yeah, 99% of scientists agree. I mean, by that, we mean science podcasters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it makes you wonder about every single other thing that people on the left ascribe to the experts. 99% of scientists agree in climate change. 99% of scientists agree racism is a public health crisis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these experts agree that white supremacy is the biggest national terror threat. Every time I look into what the, look into the numbers and who actually these experts are and what they're experts of and what they're saying and basically fact check it myself, it comes out as complete nonsense. It's nonsense that is basically just pushed for political reasons and no one questions it because they have expert at the front. It is baseless. I should just start putting on a white lab coat and doing videos where I just tell people stuff. And then anytime yeah. they question me, yeah. I just start screaming about how I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you seen my lab coat? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Uh, did you not notice that I'm wearing a lab coat? And, do, and then Do and then... you, sir? Do you have a lab coat? I thought not. Yeah. And then and then when they uh, when they demand any any proof of anything i just scream i am the science like dr fauci did and run out of the room that's hilarious yeah if you <laughs> if you question dr fauci you're questioning science that that was that's a that's a real quote if you question what i say you're questioning science yeah yeah that's just absolutely gross all right. Well, that's going to be it for the show today. Thank you so much for joining us on this ride. Uh, be sure to let us know in our chat what you guys think. Or as always, go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio, uh, where you can post your notes, leave messages for us, join our Discord server. And for $2.99 a month, you can help sponsor this program. We'll let you guys know what's going on next week. And be sure to keep an eye out for any news stories that we post up on our social media. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, all all that fun jazz. I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next Sunday at noon Eastern. <laughs>